Welcome to the Word Search Podcast with Bible teacher and author Rob Price. Each topic and series on Word Search is designed to encourage your personal journey into the treasures and truths inside the Scriptures. Word Search is produced by RP Media, a leader in faith-based podcasts. Welcome to study number two of the Blood Covenant series. This one we're going to call Covenant Revelation based on a true story. This was the, can I say, Bible story, Bible tale that really illustrated for me the power of a blood covenant. You can learn the doctrine, you can learn what the terms mean. That's all very, very, very important. But when it plays out over the course of real Bible characters and you see how it works, this is what got me clued into, oh my gosh, I think my life just changed. (laughs) So I want to share with you the story of a part of David's life. And it's a Bible tale tucked away between, can I say this, the sling and him becoming the king, between the stone and when he takes the throne. It begins while Goliath's head is actually still attached to David's hand like a lunchbox. For right after he's come off the battlefield, David is introduced to Jonathan. This man's the son of King Saul, right? And although Saul obviously liked what he saw in David, Jonathan, his son, goes a step further. He does something extraordinary with a person he'd only known before as just a young boy whose music soothed the raging heart of his father, King Saul. So let's pick up the story in 1 Samuel 18 and verse number 1. The Bible says, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, for he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. Of course, his name was Jesse in Bethlehem. And Jonathan, here it is, gang, Jonathan made a covenant Of course, the NIV says made. I prefer the word cut. Jonathan cut a covenant. I think the King James says it that way. With David, because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Let's pause here for a second. Some very liberal commentators have tried to suggest that this was homosexual love. There could be nothing further from the truth. This is something called covenant love. They became fast friends, best of friends, primarily because of Jonathan's initiative. Covenant love does not take a long time to develop once a person shows his or her true colors. It's almost like you could say we use the phrase a kindred spirit, right? But soon after David officially joins Saul's army, the king's heart becomes completely dark Remember the songs that Israel's women sang about David and about Saul? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Imagine you're Saul. Imagine the jealousy that you could have had rise up in your heart. I mean, put yourself in Saul's mind for a second, right? David, he must be carefully watched. He must not be trusted. And Saul eventually conspires to kill David himself. So he sends out the Secret Service, the Green Berets, the Army Rangers, the Navy SEALs of Israel's force to to, to take out David. He's out to steal my throne, right? So Saul begins to infect his family and his servants and even his military commanders with fake news. David, on his part, is full of fear now and worry for his own life. He just did a solid for Saul recently by taking out the Philistines. And now he can understand why Saul wants him dead. So David goes in search of his covenant friend, the son of the king, Jonathan. He finds him near Ramah, 
Let's pick up the story now in 1 Samuel 20 and verse 1. Then David fled from Nehoath at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to take my life? Never, Jonathan replied, you are not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything, great or small, without confiding in me. Why would he hide this from me? It's not so. But David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he'll be surely grieved. The story goes on. It picks up in verse 8. When David begins to appeal to the soberness of his covenant, he says this, As for you, talking now to Jonathan, show kindness, covenant kindness. That word kindness in the Bible is chesed. And it means mercy or loving kindness, the, the doing, the action, the guts, the living out of a covenant relationship. Show kindness to your servant. For you have you, for you have brought me into this covenant with you before the Lord. And if I'm guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? And again, Jonathan says, never, never, never. If I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? David asked, who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Come, Jonathan said, let's go out to the field. And so they went there together. Then Jonathan said to David, by the Lord, the God of Israel, I will surely sound out my father. In other words, he'll feel things out, right? By this time, the day after tomorrow. And if he is favorably disposed towards you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father is inclined to harm you, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away safely. May the Lord be with you as he has also been with my father. And here it is, verse 14. But show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live, so that I, this is Jonathan speaking, so that I may not be killed and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. Not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. Jonathan acknowledges the Lord's anointing on his father, but also knows his allegiance is now to David. Because why? He's in a covenant with him. He promises to check out his dad's sour disposition, and then mirrors what David had said earlier about the covenant, the terms, the love. In other words, this thing has consequences if not obeyed. Jonathan and David both acknowledge the sobering terms of their covenant, that covenants, friends, have curses, not just blessings. In 1 Samuel 20, verse 14, so then we saw just now Jonathan renewed or extends their covenant friendship, their kindness to include his own unborn children. He says, don't cut your kindness off from my family. He doesn't have kids yet. It seems to be that Jonathan is looking and seeing ahead into time. His covenant revelation has opened his eyes and he senses the winds of change are coming. Well, the story goes on and David runs around hiding for a few more chapters. And then this happens in 1 Samuel 23. Jonathan says something absolutely astounding and then backs it up with yet another covenant renewal, or you could say extension. In 1 Samuel 23, verse 17 and 18, here's what it says. Don't be afraid, he said. This is Jonathan speaking. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel. And I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. 
the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horesh. The term made a covenant here is better understood as renewed, as I said a moment ago. They renewed or extended their covenant. But did you see what Jonathan said here? He gives his throne to David. Jonathan was second in line to the throne. He is the oldest son of King Saul, yet his covenant love and covenant revelation has helped him to see that David was God's choice all along. What a humble act of covenant obedience that Jonathan makes here. He's acknowledging that a shepherd boy will be king and his ability to discern the will of God was required for their covenant to reach fulfillment. They're in a committed relationship, but this takes intentionality within the covenant to correctly live it out. So how do we do that today? Well, you spend time in the word. You spend time in worship, meditation time, listening time. My good friend and fellow Bible teacher, Leroy Bartell, calls it the nudge. When you're that close to God's spirit, you can just hear him whisper because you're in tight covenant relationship. So the story continues. Skirmishes with the Philistines escalate, and one day, Saul and Jonathan are both killed in battle. News reaches the family palace in Gibeah in the land of the tribe of Benjamin, and suspicions immediately surface. Remember the fake news that Saul had infected the servants, the family, the commanders with about David being uh, an enemy of the, of, of the state. And they thought the same thing then. David must be behind these assassinations. Remember what Saul told us about him. He's joined the Philistines as a, as a mercenary, as a soldier of fortune. And the Bible says in 2 Samuel 4, 4, what happened next. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled. But as she hurried to leave, he fell and became crippled. And his name was Mephibosheth. So the Bible says here, it gives you the reason why he was lame in both feet is because the nurse went to pick him up. And when they flee the palace in their haste, they dropped this boy, a five-year-old boy, a blood curdling scream pierces the palace. The boy's legs and feet are smashed to the ground, the hard paving stones, no time to stop at the emergency room. They have to get out of town now. And the royal family and a small handful of servants escape to a dusty, dry desert village called Lodabar, where he is described in the Bible as being crippled and lame in both feet. The word Lodabar in Hebrew is very interesting. And to me, it illustrates the picture of the kind of life that Mephibosheth would go on to lead. It means a place of no life, a place of no green pasture, no words of life. In other words, no revelation word. He was living in a dry, dusty, quiet, dead place. It is in this dead-end town that Mephibosheth is surely told the story over and over as he grows up into young manhood. David, he turned against Israel. He joined the Philistines and took your throne. You, Mephibosheth, you should be the rightful king over Israel. David, he stole everything from you. He's the reason you're a cripple today. And to add insult to injury, the Hebrew name Mephibosheth actually means 
a son of shame or a shameful thing. Here he is living with no words of life, no revelation word, has no concept that he was included in a covenant before he was born. Remember, Jonathan and David included their unborn children in covenant kindness and friendship. But he instead is raised to hate David. However, for David, he goes on to conquer lands in the next few chapters, expresses a desire to build a temple, yet every day sees a reminder on his own right hand of the covenant with his slain friend, David. And David cannot take the pressure any longer. He was quite possibly staring at his covenant-scarred right hand when he asked a burning question inside his throne room in 2 Samuel 9, verses 1 and 2. Let me take you there. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show, here it is, kindness, covenant kindness to for Jonathan's sake. Now he knew Jonathan had kids. In fact, he may have even met the boy at some point along the way as a youngster. So David knew Jonathan had offspring and he knew he was then in covenant with them. But remember, they had all fled the palace. They were gone now for years at a time. Yet the scar on his hand burned inside of his heart. You must obey covenant. So he asked the question, is there anyone left? I have to know. The Bible says this in verse two. Now there was a servant of Saul's household. You could say a carryover, right? His name was Ziba. And they called him to appear before the king, King David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? Your servant, he replied. And the king asked, is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And this gets pretty interesting. I'm going to try to illustrate what I think happened here. Ziba answered the king, uh, well, uh, you see, what had happened was, <laughs> there's still a son of Jonathan. Uh, he, he's crippled in both feet. In other words, Ziba's saying, don't, don't, don't worry about this guy. I mean, come on. It's quite possible Ziba had tried to hide Mephibosheth from David for years. He was at the palace the day the family had fled. Perhaps he even arranged that safe house for them in Lodabar. Either way, he has to fess up now. Notice again the word that David used, kindness. That means a covenant had been cut. The Bible continues in verse 4. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba said, uh, uh, He's at, the, um, he's at the house of Makir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. Isn't it interesting? Ziba knew exactly where he was the entire time. I'm convinced he was hiding Mephibosheth from David, trying to protect him. Because back then, when there's a new uh, ruling family, you bring out the old ruling family, the prior king and all his offspring, and you kill him on sight. So Ziba is, to his defense, is trying to protect this young kid. He has no idea of what's happened years before between Jonathan and David, that David's in a covenant with Mephibosheth by virtue of him being the son of Jonathan. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Emil. It's now David's ability to discern the will of God that was required for their covenant to reach fulfillment. David is compelled to remember his covenant. And the word remember, it means to grab a past historical covenantal event and pull into the here and now its power and its love and its commitment. Bring it into the now and present moment. 
So before we continue, let's just review again what Zeba was thinking. He's got to be thinking, come on, come on, David, let it go, right? He's no threat. But he also knows that David used covenantal language by saying kindness. It's got to blow Zeba's mind. What? What are you talking about? A covenant? A covenant with Mephibosheth? You're going to take a two-bit terrorist and pardon him completely and reward him for the life of his father, Jonathan? David cries, yes, where is he? Bring him to me. The old King James says that he had him fetched from Lodabar. I like that. He fetched him. The NIV says he had him brought from Lodabar, but sometimes the King James gets it better. So I want you to be Mephibosheth now. Drag your dead legs over to the window as the chariots and the horsemen and the soldiers surround your small, dusty, dry town where you've got no words of life, no revelation, no green pasture, a dead, dusty, dry life. You see the cloud dust now forming around the city. Well, this is it. He's finally found me. He's tracked me down. I wonder who snitched. And he was brought before the king's presence. And anger then melts into utter fear. Remember, Mephibosheth was raised to fear and hate David. So in verse 6, the story picks up. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. It's like he's in the king's presence. As much as he hated the guy, he was in the throne room. So he bowed down. And David says one word, Mephibosheth. And the Bible uses an exclamation point. He was excited. Your, your servant, he replied. Don't, don't, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness, covenant kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. So let's review what we just read. David senses fear and says the exact sentence that Jonathan uttered to him years before. Don't be afraid. I find that very interesting. The same words his own dad used to talk to David. David now uses on Mephibosheth. Don't be afraid. He then unveils the shocking truth. I'm in covenant with your daddy. I believe at that moment, although the Bible does not say so, I believe he probably pulled back the shirt hanging over his wrist and revealed to Mephibosheth the scar, the covenant scar on his right hand. I'm imposing kindness on you. Take it, man. Take it. But listen to Mephibosheth's response. In verse 8, the Bible says, Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you would notice a dead dog like me? The word dead dog in Hebrew means a nobody, a loser. There was such self-hatred inside Mephibosheth's heart. You ever notice that people who hate others do so because they usually hate themselves? This single sentence revealed the entire inner life of Mephibosheth. And his own self-hatred initially blinds him from seeing the covenant. Too many lies from Lodabar in his ear all those years. Too much fake news about the true good news of who he really was, the gospel at that point in his life. But then somewhere in the subtext of this narrative, off the printed words, I believe David told him, you're mine. You're a part of the family. Because you see, the proof was in the palm. David is in a covenant with somebody. 
that much is undeniable. It's a culturally relevant message that even the isolated desert rat Mephibosheth can't ignore. He sees the covenant scar. And now a decision must be made. Can covenant break him free from his life in Lodabar, from himself? Or will Mephibosheth make what we call today a misclick? He has just been informed of the most unexpected of blood covenants. What will he do? Can I really believe what I'm hearing? Covenant kindness is being imposed upon me. Did my father, Jonathan, really do this for me? Have I been told a complete lie my entire life? And am I willing now to be conquered, not by weapons, but with a covenant love and a covenant kindness and a covenant mercy? What happens if I ignore this covenant? What will happen if I say no? What if I ignore it? Well, he would then be killed on two counts. Remember, enemy of the state, kill him on sight. But here you've got to catch this, friends. Mephibosheth would have been killed, not because he was just an enemy of the state, but because he would be a covenant breaker. That's right. I just said that. Before he was born, he was included in a covenant. And once he learns the revelation of the fact he's in a covenant, he must now decide, do I enter? This could explain why and how people, in my opinion, go to hell. They are covenant breakers. They reject the truth, Romans 1, whether it's told by someone directly or they pick it up by just nature around them. Okay, so what will happen if I accept this covenant imposition? This is going to require a complete repentance of thinking. David didn't kill my father. He doesn't hate me. I mean, in view of the king's mercy now, I must learn not to be conformed, catch this, any longer to the pattern of my old world. I must now be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Sounds a lot like Romans 12, doesn't it? This could take years of finding out what I got myself into. And what will they say back in Lodabar? If I say yes to this king, what's going to happen back, back home? They'll turn on me. They will hate me now as much as they hate David. Am I willing to take that stand? Your worldly friends and affections and attachments will turn on you, friend, when you come to the king and you give your life to Jesus. So what happened? In 2 Samuel 9, verse 11, the Bible says this, Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, of course, he's referencing Saul here, will always eat at my table. In other words, he's a member of the king's family. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord, the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. In other words, he said, yes. Now, he may spend the rest of his life physically crippled by his past, but he has been set free inside his spirit. He is forgiven, of course, of all his hatred and anger against the king, and he himself is now royalty. He's basically switched teams. He's been traded. <laughs> Once a cowboy, now an eagle. 
the audacity of this, but it happened. Mephibosheth entered into friendship, which is a covenant word, with the king through a covenant representative who was part of Mephibosheth's own family. Let me say that again. Mephibosheth entered into friendship with the king through a covenant representative who was part of Mephibosheth's own family, that of course being Jonathan. Did you know this story is the message of the good news all wrapped up in just a few paragraphs in both books of Samuel? Friends, covenant is the gospel message. You and I were included in a covenant before we were even born. So God the Father, who is illustrated by King David, cut a covenant with God the Son, who is illustrated by Jonathan, and included you and me, of course, we are Mephibosheth, into the promises of this new covenant. And as Mephibosheth was told, he could call on the name of his father, Jonathan, his representative, to enter into a covenant already provided for him. So it is with us that whosoever will call upon the name, the covenant name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, will be saved. As he was given instant access to be seated with the king at his table and be considered part of the royal family, so it is with us that through the blood of the new covenant, we have eternal access to be, as Paul said, seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And that, friends, is the story that fundamentally and radically changed my life life as I understood now what I knew and accepted as a small child, that Jesus was the Lord, that his blood on the cross and his pain and suffering did something, gave me access to know him forever. I knew these things, but to know how and why, it's the covenant revelation that makes the cross and the crucifixion and the resurrection all make sense. The fact that I was included in a covenant before I was even born. And once I hear the news, I say, yes, and now I enter in freely. That, friends, is the gospel message. In our next episode, we'll tackle the everlasting covenant. It answers the question, so when did this covenant in which I was included really happen? This new covenant in Christ? Well, you might be surprised at the answer. And it's a truth we pick up in the scriptures that it's mysterious, yet it's right in front of us the entire time. It is what I call an attempt at open heart surgery into the very Godhead himself. And so it will require very careful explanation on my part and careful listening on your part. That's next time right here on Word Search with Rob Price.